Money Sense is brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group, four-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com and listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just north of I-94 between Highway 164 and Highway F in Ridgeview Corporate Park. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies, and we're really very very blessed and privileged to be able to serve our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. If you would like to put a face with a voice, you can go to ellenbecker.com. My guest today is Dr. Kevin Spellman. He is a certified financial analyst. He also has a degree in the psychology of investing, which we all know is extremely important. He's the director of investment management certification program at UWM, and he's also a senior advisor and performs work in micro and macro strategy at Institutional Shareholder Services, the largest firm in the world providing services to institutions to voting their shares. And he is known in this world as Coach. (laughs) So welcome to the show, Coach. Uh, Glad to be here, and uh, thanks for calling me Coach. (laughs) You know, I was talking to you a little bit earlier, and we always think about coaching, you know, in terms of the Packers and, you know, our Brewers and many athletic things. But in truth, the coaches are really valuable and reliable source for students and for individuals who are trying to learn more about what's going on in this investment world of ours, which has been like a roller coaster. And I always say that, you know, um, the roller coaster goes up and down, up and down, but nobody jumps off um, when it's moving. (laughs) And you got to hang on, you know, but people don't really hang on. And a lot of people jump off the roller coaster when they don't understand what's going on. And so today, um, you've talked a lot about a recession, and you've talked about the importance of a recession. So maybe my listeners need a little bit of coaching today. Okay. Well, you know, my background is as a professor, but I'm also um, an investment practitioner. So I have about 30 years managing money and about 20 years teaching, and I teach investments. And uh, if I can give people a guide or a roadmap to be better at that, that's great. And you know, I evaluate my success um, through the success of the people who I teach, just like a coach. Well, we mm-hmm. value you teaching as well because we're always interested in your students and in terms of just who might be an, an employee at the Ellen Becker Investment Group one day. So when you talk about some of the information that you and I shared, recession is a word that when clients hear it and they use it on the news all the time, it sort of frightens people. They they don't understand that a recession potentially, you know, can be a very good thing. It actually is. Um, so my doctorate degree is in the psychology of investing. So I was finishing this up uh, just during the great, you know, financial crisis. And if we don't have a recession, then it's, um, you know, a recession is kind of like a, a speed limit. If you do not have any speed limits and everybody's going to drive, you know, 100 miles an hour, and then you're going to have a really big crash. So every once in a while, you need a recession just to reset expectations. If you don't do that, then people will invest or corporations and consumers, they will outspend 
And if you do that, you end up wasting your capital. And if you waste your capital, it's not put to good use of you know, uh, places. And then ultimately that will slow growth, the slow the economy, slow jobs, and lead to a worse economy later on. So a recession every once in a while uh, you know, basically provides a, a speed limit for us to do the right thing to have better growth long term. One of the things that triggers my clients generally is the interest rates. And of course, we've got, when I was much, much, much younger, the interest rates were 10, 11, 12%, and clients were so happy. And of course, then the interest rates, you know, lagged, and then they went down. And we've been faced with such low interest rates where a lot of clients who, in their minds, thought, I am going to live on my interests, that changed. And then we had the interest rates now now going up a little bit. And now people are unhappy because when they want to go get that mortgage, they're paying more to borrow money. Can you talk a little bit about the interest rates and the importance of the interest rates and, and, and what's actually happening now in the room to raise rates and why that could also be good? So one of the things I teach a lot about is cycles. There's financial cycles and there's economic cycles. And economic cycles really start with interest rates. So if interest rates go up as they are, then people will you know, basically slow their purchases of housing and other big ticket items that could be computers or vacations or cars. Um, and of course, if they're not spending money on cars, that means the economy is not as good. Um, and if the economy is not as good, then corporations won't invest, they won't hire. And if people are, their jobs are at risk, then inflation comes back down and then interest rates are lower. So basically interest rates really are the things that start cycles um, and end cycles. When you talk about mm. um, the cycles and the interest rates, can you explain a little bit as to, a little bit more in depth as to why the interest rates are raised in, in, in order to keep inflation down? I mean, that comparison so people can understand the relative connection? Well, um, if interest rates rise, so mortgage rates are 7.5% oh, on new mortgages right now. And then the, the prices of houses have also gone up. So basically, if you looked at um, for a new home, um, the cost of buying that new home uh, and the monthly mortgage rate uh, is risen very, very significantly. Uh, so that means people have to buy a smaller home or not buy a home at all. And housing tends to be something that's very volatile. And if housing, even though it's not a large part of the economy, um, falls, like say 20%, that can literally lead to a recession. I think that's the part that you know, catches people's eyes so quickly is when they go to borrow money mm -hmm. to buy a house. And then, of course, where the interest rates are. So it's always interesting. There are really a lot of people that are happy that the bond interest rates and the CD interest rates are up. And they're the ones, of course, that are looking at their money and saying, now, finally, at last, I have a little bit of cash flow <laughs> from my CDs. But then we've got all these younger people who are looking at buying a house or people that want to upgrade, and they look at the housing market, and the interest rates are up, and they sit back and say, wow, you know, borrowing money at 7%, you know, I mean, that's outrageous because they've only been exposed to these low interest rates. They've never experienced higher interest rates. So the savers, it's 
really great for, and the <laughs> borrowers it's really bad for, but it's really great for the savers that are investing in bonds, who are yes. the lenders. Um, if you have high inflation, which results in high interest rates, and you're in the stock market, and you mentioned that you started in this business back in the 80s when interest rates were much higher, the stock market, if inflation's high and stays this way, and we have this high of interest rates, we could see the stock market collapse. There is a relationship between interest rates and the stock market. Um, back in the 1970s, when we had the inflation like we had a year ago, the average valuation on stocks, if you just look at the price per dollar earnings, was seven. Right now, we're at 21, <laughs> which means if we went back to that level of interest rates stable at that, the stock market could fall 67%. Yes. You know, the other thing mm -hmm. that is hard for clients to understand when we're talking about the rising interest rates is bonds and how the bond price can be volatile. And so many people think, well, if I buy bonds, I don't have to worry about volatility. They're perfect. And, and that is not true. Do you, can you go a little bit into that for people to understand the relativeness to um, when the interest rates go up and if you have a bond, how that may make the bond lose some of its value, unless, of course, you hold it to maturity? Exactly. Well, <laughs> if you think about it with a bond, um, you have a contract. Uh, if you're the lender, that you're going to receive a certain amount of income. And if interest rates for other new bonds go up, um, then your current bond with a contract for a lower interest rate no longer looks as attractive and the price goes down. If we look at 2022, it was the worst year for stock and bond investors, I think since the 30s, looking at a 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio. So... You know, if interest rates go up, the existing bonds fall in price. Yes, mm -hmm. and I know that even for us, as we've been looking at our bond por portfolios, and we build ladders with our bonds that come due every year for the amount that our clients are looking at spending so that we have this certainty that their lifestyles won't change. But now, of course, with the bonds and the interest rates going up, some of those bonds are in the negative, and, you know, we look at that, we go, but it's okay because we're holding it to maturity. We're not looking at selling it. But for a lot of people who don't really understand that and they go and they cash in that bond, they will get less than what they put in. It's not a time if you're in a, a situation. With, by the way, bond laddering is a really good idea and this type of thing because then you're not forced to sell at any one time. And hopefully you set them up for what cash flow they need upon retirement. It's when you sell at big losses is what you know basically causes people to destroy wealth over time. If there's a sale on a clothing item that they put a big thing in the window sale and that attracts people to buy the clothing. If you put a sale on stocks and bonds, people will think it's the plague and they'll sell and run away. When things are on sale, clothing, cars, stocks or bonds is the time to actually think about maybe they're a little bit more attractive. Well, you know, nobody ever looks mm -hmm. at their house on a weekly or a daily or a monthly um, to see what it's valued at mm -hmm. because they bought a house, they own it, they love it, it's quality, they hold it. I feel the same way about stocks. If you know what you own, if you buy quality, you don't need to look at it every day. And even, you know, and for me, I always say the person with the most shares wins person who reinvests their dividends 
because then you have more income in the long run. My guest today is Coach, and we've said that it's Dr. Kevin Spellman. Um, he is known as Coach, and so we're calling him the coach on this program, and we're getting some really good coaching ourselves. With that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Dr. Kevin Spellman, and we're calling him the coach because he is the coach, as he is the um, the director of investment management certification for the programs at UWM, which is an amazing program. And these are where the young adults come into our community, and you know they're helping clients, and they're helping themselves, and people their age to really have a, a a better and deeper understanding of what's going on in this world. And I have to say that's something that I never really had as a young person. And so I am um, one of your greatest fans, to tell you the truth. I am just excited that UWM has such a solid, great program. We've talked a lot about interest rates, but there are other factors that really affect what's going on in our world. Can you give us a little bit of insight into that? Well, um, the Fed controls the economy or influences the economy through three ways. One is interest rates. Um, one is just talking about what they're doing. And the third is money supply. And uh, one of the reasons why it seems evident that we'll go into a recession is that money supply is growing really, really slowly relative to GDP. If you think about money supply and equivalents of money, it's basically just gives you your ability to spend. Um, right now, money supply is growing less than 10% slower than GDP. So what happens then? Well, that money can go to units. It can go to higher prices or lower prices, and it can go to savings. So if money is growing 10% slower than GDP, you would expect the economy to slow down. Uh, since 1960, there's been, I think, nine recessions. There's only been five or six what we call soft landings, where we slowed the economy without a recession. And all those five or six periods of time, money supply accelerated relative to GDP. Right now, it's decelerating. Boy, that when you talk about acceleration and deceleration, um, that is a little bit complicated for people to understand. Even for myself, when I think about it, you know, the importance of a soft landing for just about anything we do. So can you go a little bit deeper into the, um, what your thoughts are around that? Uh, on the soft landing? Yeah. Um, well, the comparison between what's happening now and then the hope for, I guess we're going to talk a little bit later about our expectations, but our understanding of how that really affects us. And I know we also talked about as individuals, well, investors. Let's, let's first of all just define acceleration and deceleration. Okay. Uh, so if you're accelerating, that means maybe you're growing 5% now or before you're growing 2%. I said right now money supply is decelerating. So it's growing 10% slower than the pace of real GDP growth. It, that is the lowest it's been um, in the series I'm looking at, which is since 1960. And if it's decelerating, meaning it's getting worse and worse. So that if it's minus 10, it was minus eight. Um, so the Fed is really trying to s slow the economy, slow demand slow inflation. And does that by raising interest rates? 
it actually has an influence on in interest rates. Yeah. And it also influences what banks can do. And recently, banks have been tightening their standards for loans. Basically, you have to be more credit worthy in order for a bank to make a loan. And what you see is when that happens, that leads loan growth. So banks are tightening credit, loan growth is slowing, and if loan growth continues slowing, it reduces demand, and hopefully that solves our inflation problem. But it's also, I think, a concern that banks have so much money and they're not, they're not giving it away. <laughs> well, actually, at the, at the moment, we are, <laughs> earlier this year, we had a little banking crisis. And we also have a situation with uh, bank deposit rates being so low, now they're having to compete in, with um, money market rates in the market. So banks are not out of the woods, and they're, they're still struggling a little bit. If we look at the valuation of banks relative to other assets, um, they're pretty low, which means investors are a little bit concerned about banks' uh, future fortunes. When you talk about mm -hmm. the future, of course, that's how the perception of how we look at things uh, based on being a, an individual, a consumer, an investor. And then I'm guessing and I know that based on I have my own company, I look at interest rates and I look at what's happening in the economy different than the consumer would. And then, of course, the, go the government is looking at it completely different, too. How does that all work together? Well, as I said earlier, I, I got interested. I did a doctorate degree in the psychology investing. Why did I get do that? It's basically because I realized what influences security prices is, goes beyond fundamentals. It goes beyond, it goes to how do people think about fundamentals? What is their expectations? So one of the reasons why um, we may have a recession is just if people think there's going to be a recession. If people think there's going to be a recession, then they'll act like it. They'll curtail their spending. And of course, the economy is all spending. And if they curtail the spending, we'll, we'll get a recession. But I look at um, various aspects of the economy, from the financial markets to the consumer markets to the corporate markets. And as I look at each one of these and their expectations, the risky part of the stock and bond markets, they've been doing very well. So they don't think we're going to have a recession. But if you look at the government bond market, um, there's something called a yield curve, and it's inverted. It's been inverted before basically every recession. I'm not sure if it's every recession, but um, at least going back to the 60s, 70s. So the government bond market's very negative. The risky stock market and corporate bond markets are very positive. If we look at the uh, just surveys of corporations and what they're thinking, those surveys are showing they're pretty bearish. And as we talked about a little bit earlier, if corporations are um, not feeling um, very optimistic, they may curtail investment spending, which then leads to job losses. And then lastly is the consumer. Uh, surveys of consumer confidence, there's several of them, but all these surveys have basically been going down. And if you look at the consumer confidence surveys for people who are making maybe a little bit lower end of the wage spectrum, when that's down, they curtail spending, which means retail sales go down. And of course, lower retail sales means lower GDP, and that can cause a recession. So just that the people think there could be a recession can cause it. I, that is absolutely mm -hmm. true. I think about 
the expectations and when there's negative news out there and uh, a client will come in or call and say, should we be doing something? Is there something that we should be doing in our portfolio? Is there something that we need to take action on? I mean, should we sell out everything? You know, and of course, for me, um, I always do use the analogy of nobody gets off of a roller coaster when it's moving. (laughs) But beyond that, it's, I like to think, live by what you trust, not by what you fear. And the reason I say that, and I say it confidently, is because what you do and the education that you provide is something that we really try to do with our clients as well, is to have them truly understand the investments that they own and the quality of the investments and to understand what will happen in these rising markets, what will happen in a market that's down. And the type of quality that they own is very important to understand that. So what would you tell my clients and my listeners as we're talking about this volatility, the recessions and, and different things, as they're trying to figure out, well, how does this apply to me? Okay. How should I hear you? So uh, I'm trying to remember who said it, but it may have been Warren Buffett. You know, one of the hardest things to do is do nothing. Yes. Okay. That is very, very difficult. And um, one of the biggest mistakes I found investors have made over time is not understanding cycles. Um, my most wealth I ever made was buying as the market was going down during the financial crisis. And understanding the, the psychology and, and the cycles really, really helped me. Um, as far as how to invest if you are fearing a recession, generally the companies that are more quality, higher profitability, more dominant in their space, ones that you can frankly ignore and sit on your hands, they tend to do better in those type of markets. 2021 was exactly the opposite market of that. That's when you had new IPOs, you had SPACs, you had the meme stocks and all those things. When that was happening, since I understand cycles and I managed multi-billion dollar portfolios during the internet bubble, I'm sitting here thinking, it could be different this time, but boy, it sure seems like this last cycle and I probably should be very, very cautious. So um, you should be, I think this is Warren Buffett, you should be fearful when others are greedy and you should be greedy when others are fearful. My guest today, such a great conversation. My guest today is Dr. Kevin Spellman, and he is referred to as the coach. And with that, we're going to be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. If you'd like to know more about EIG, go to ellenbecker.com. My guest today is Coach, and that is Dr. Kevin Spellman. And as I said earlier, he's the Director of Investment Management Certification Program at UWM. He has, I'm not going to take time to read all of the accolades that he has because we've got so much good stuff to talk about. Let's talk about corporations and how they view what's going on in the world. Oh, we've already talked about earlier non-bank, corp- uh, sorry, bank corporations. Mm-hmm. So this is really about non-bank corporations. Um, and you know, ultimately, they're the ones doing the hiring and economy. So it's really important to understand their health. Um, so the first thing I look at is, is their financial health. You know, how much debt do they have? If you, before each recession, 
what you've seen as corporations lever up. Uh, why do they lever up? Because they see um, the economy is good, let's go expand. Well, this time's really no different. So they're levering up. So if I use lever as kind of a contrary indicator, that would be, uh, that would make me cautious. Now they've been able to do this, um, levering up over time, uh, certainly toward the later stages of the economy, partly because the Fed's had interest rates so low. Uh, so if we look at their ability to pay the interest on this debt, it's still pretty robust, but that's only because the Federal Reserve has lowered interest rates over time. If we took a more normal interest rate and we assume they had to refinance all their debt at a higher interest rate, um, then they would be a little bit more in trouble. So that also tells you that it's very important for the um, Federal Reserve to lower inflation so we can bring down interest rates. Um, a little bit about inflation. Um, so we would say, you know, the market's cheering that inflation is slowing. It's still not slow, still like at 4%, um, but it's slowed down, you know, significantly. But if we look at how that impacts the corporation, if they're charging less for what they sell, that's very negative to their sales. And if their sales are being pressured, that's also very negative to their profitability. And it turns out earnings of corporations or their profits uh, tends to um, lead what they do as far as investment spending. So that would tell you inflation may be good for the economy, but it may be bad for the corporation's earnings, which then is bad for their investment spending, which then is bad for employment <laughs> trends. So we may win in the short term on inflation, but that literally could hurt corporate profitability and investment spending and the economy long term. So what's the magic answer? Is there a medium <laughs> place to be? That is absolutely a great question, okay? Um, I think it, we should just talk about how much inflation should you have? Why, why do we care? Um, if you have really, really high inflation, it brings a lot of uncertainty to consumers and to basically to financial markets. Uh, so uncertainty is bad, it raises cost of capital, raises interest rates, slows economy. But also if you look at past episodes where inflation's really high, it tends to be wage growth does not keep up with inflation. So when high inflation is happening, your wages aren't going up as quickly, which means your standard of living's going down. So you don't really want to have high inflation because you don't want to have a lower standard of living, more volatility. But you also don't want to have deflation where prices are going down. Because if prices are going down and you and I are thinking about, oh, buying a new computer, buying a new car, we know the price is going to be lower next year, we'll say, oh, let's wait till next year to buy it. Well, if everybody has that same attitude, let's wait till next year, and then there's no spending, there's no jobs, the economy goes into a deep recession. So what the Fed tries to do is have some inflation, not too high, not too low, just right. Like the three bears. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and also the financial markets responds very positively. And we had that level um, basically starting about 20 years ago through you know, a couple of years ago. And when we had that lower inflation, that really the stock market just took off. Well, let's throw in a little um, salt and pepper. What about the elections? 
<laughs> How is that going to set the stage for don't do anything because no one will vote for me or let's do something so someone will vote for me? Oh, I don't really want to get into <laughs> politics. <laughs> Just so you know, I am neutral. <laughs> I am also neutral. But, you know, we do know that that there is an impact with an election coming up on how people perceive what's going to happen. I mean, I'll have a client say to me, if so-and-so gets in, then I, if so-and-so gets in, then, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Well, I'm just going to give a little bit of, of so elections can matter to the markets. It turns out that there's an election cycle, you know, where, um, you know, you're, you're, the current president are, are trying to have a good economy because, frankly, um, uh, besides probably Ronald Reagan back in the early 80s where um, they had Volcker uh, come into Fed chairman and get rid of inflation, Generally, if the economy goes into a recession, whoever is leader of the country loses their job because people blame that person rightly or wrongly for whatever the condition is. What I would encourage people on, on politics is to understand that the, the people on both sides, they're, they're motivated to, to say certain things. And if people are arguing vehemently for on a, on a case, an argument, there's probably some truth on both sides, and you should probably think a little bit more about how you can be wrong. Actually, I'm going to say something. The best investors always think about how they could be wrong. Yeah. My guest today is Dr. Kevin Spellman, and he is known as The Coach. And we're going to take a quick break. And one of the things that, um, Coach, I'd like to talk about is there's about 10,000 people a day retiring. Mm -hmm. And that means that those people are stopping working. They're generally looking at the portfolio that they have as the money that's going to last them the rest of their life. And we look at people living to be 100 years old so easily. But then... The kids that you're teaching as the Director of Investment Management Certification at UWM, they're much younger, and they've got a much longer horizon in terms of investing. So when we're li listening to what you're saying today, we've got the investors that want to preserve the money that they have. But yet, because you're talking about inflation, they also have to keep up with inflation. And then you've got the youngins, as I call them, who I was golfing yesterday, and I could not believe how far they could hit a ball. <laughs> Those youngins, they've got a lot of energy, and they can take more risk. So when we come back, let's kind of pull that apart a little bit. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is Dr. Kevin Spellman. He's known as the coach, and I've asked him to give us some really pertinent information and kind of coach us in a way as to, you know, what we can expect, what's happening in the market. And before we took the break, you know, there's 10,000 people a day retiring. I think it's for the next 10 years. So there's a real difference in investing styles and knowing your investments. So how would you approach that with my listeners and my clients? I'm going to give you a few examples of kind of sticking things out for the long term. Uh, so this summer I was teaching my students about performance risk. It's a, it's a rigorous program. They don't even get credit for uh, the class in the summer, but we meet. We, ha we manage real portfolios. Students have about $10 million that they manage directly or they help out a humane society with um, some of that assets. Well, the example was looking at the Standard & Poor's 500's returns since like the 1920s, just looking at the annual returns. 
Um, and there was a, a few things that came out of that discussion. One is good years tend to follow bad years. So if you invest based on the past, you're going to give up a lot of the good years. The second is, is um, really sticking it out for the long term and actually managing your risk. The long-term returns, uh, it's called a geometric average, which is really the return that you live off of. It was a little bit below 9% over that period of time. The uh, median return was, if I'm remembering right, somewhere, I think it may have been 14%, but I just can't believe it's that high, but I think it was 14%, and the average return per year was 12. So why is the return that you live off of a little bit less than nine and the other returns so much higher? It's because losses matter so much. If you um, lose 50%, so a dollar goes to 50 cents, you, you got to gain back 100% to get back to even. Or if you make 50%, a dollar goes to two. Sorry, if you make 100%, a dollar goes to two, and you lose 50%, you basically give up all the gains. Um, most people, after big losses like that, they'll call their advisor and say, we need to do something. Let's get out. I would argue you need to call your psychologist, and remember my doctorate <laughs> in psychology investing, or your coach and say, hey, convince me to stay in. Yes. And it's, it's That's so it's, when we earn our money. Absolutely. That is when, mm -hmm. but you know, it's really hard when, I'll go back, in the markets when, when they really, we had our major correction in the 80s, we had clients coming to us, and we had just been awarded the Better Business Bureau Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity, and we had people coming to us based on that and said, well, you must be a good firm, and we would ask them, well, why, why are you worried? What's going on? And they didn't know what they owned. They didn't know if they had lost their money, if their money was down. Nobody was talking to them. They had no idea where they were. And sometimes we looked at portfolios and said, we love you as a client. You do own really good stuff. They just didn't understand it. And I think for everyone, education is a huge piece of being able to weather the storm and stay in it. So our clients know what they own, and they know what's going to happen. And we talk to them, and we're always in contact with them. But it's really an investor's responsibility to ask the right questions and to be educated rather than just stick their head in the sand and hope somebody's giving them good advice. And I would also say, in terms of being an advisor myself, if you don't have that relationship with your advisor that you can tell them things and help them to understand what you want, you really can't blame them for not knowing if they're not giving you the types of investments that are best suited to you. Well, you It's relationships. You absolutely have to have a good relationship, your advisor. And you mentioned education. You, you know, it's, it's your money. You have an obligation to educate yourself and uh, to get good advice, too, because not everybody can be an investment expert. Um, but it's, it's good to at least know certain principles for investing. And to understand, you know, what you need to spend. I mean, clients will sit down and say, um, I'm going to have Social Security, I'm going to have money fr from my pension, but they really don't know what they're going to need in what? retirement. And so these 10,000 people a day that are retiring, 
my hope would be that they started at least five years ago understanding what it was going to look like when they retired in 2023 or January of 24 and not address it then because there's no ability to move as much as you might have been able to. Or if you don't address it early, uh, then you may end up not retiring. Yes. Um, so you need to understand what you're talking about is your cash flow situation, which will change in retirement. Um, but, um, you know, some people maybe say they want to travel. Other people, um, you know, they're not going to be putting in to, for Social Security. So that's a savings. You know, they're not. So there's there's many, many variables that go into this where someone will need to be educated. You know, very often we talked about corporations. I will sit down with a client and say, when you retire in 2023 or 2024, you now have a business that you've been creating your whole life, and your business is your investment portfolio because you have the same expectations. You want to get a paycheck. You want to get a raise once in a while. Um, you want to get a bonus once in a while. And to treat your portfolio just like I treat my business to make sure I've got good um, advisors, I've got good tax advisors, I've got a good estate plan attorney, I've got a good corporate attorney. I have the right people in place. I have a psychologist <laughs> around my money. Um, it's important to think about your portfolio as your corporation, your company. Well, it, it definitely is for me. So, um, and uh, well, we're talking about you know the case for a recession right now. There's also a case for soft landing. You know, last month I wrote ten reasons that we could have a recession. This month I'm writing ten reasons that we're not going to have a recession. This is a complex thing. Yes. Um, and there is a couple other points we we haven't talked about on the case for a recession. One is the consumer, and one is the government. Uh, would you like to go there? Oh, yep, absolutely. All right. So so this is kind of my case for the recession, and there's some good news on the case for soft landing um, on the consumer side. But right now, bankruptcies are starting to rise. And we already said that uh, wage growth has been less than inflation, so that means standard livings are going down. Um, the uh, claims, uh, which is the every Thursday the government comes out with how many people filed for unemployment claims, it's rebounded off the bottom. Typically when it rebounds about as much as it has, it doesn't stop until recession. Now with that being said, you know, it's, it's kind of the claims have started to come down again, which is a good thing for the economy. Um, but one thing that um, is concerning me right now is um, big ticket sales, which is housing, it's, it's cars, um, vacations and computers. It's basically taking a nosedive at the moment. Mm. Now, it could be partly because of, um, you know, auto shortages and things like that. Um, but that's a little concerning on the consumer side, which is 70% of the economy. Have people rebounded from the pandemic? Or is that still part of it? So what happened... Um, I would argue that the government created our inflation. <laughs> in, in August, uh, sorry, in July of 2020, I said I was very concerned about inflation in the presentation. And in April, I was saying I'm very concerned that our Federal Reserve chairman wasn't concerned about inflation. Uh, the inflation was essentially created by too much demand. Uh, people who were employed got extra paychecks. Um, people who were unemployed got paid on average, more money than they did when Working. they were employed. We had some supply chain problems that which reduced supply. 
we had extremely low interest rates that which were kept at basically zero for way, way, way too long, which encouraged borrowing and all that stimulated too much demand for the, the supply. Um, now what's happening is it's, it's starting to reverse. Uh, and it has been reversing, which has um, been bringing inflation down. But unless we're really, really um, lucky um, and we get a soft landing, typically um, uh, you won't get inflation back to that 2% you know, just right uh, without people losing their jobs. That's a scary thought. Mm -hmm. And really, it's a scary thought in terms of what um, – who we're talking about losing their jobs because right now their service industry is struggling to get people to work and restaurants aren't open full time they're only open a few days of the week and um, all of the you know college kids are going back now too and so all of the um, service places are really struggling so where will that hit you're getting to my piece from this month, <laughs> <laughs> which is the opposite side of the story. By the way, investments is so interesting. The economy is so interesting. It's, it's intellectually challenging. But the fact that it was so hard to hire people may keep employers from firing the people. But that also means that inflation may not come down, which means the Fed has to get more aggressive and basically force a recession on us. And that's kind of bad because the last point you know, that could cause a recession is typically in a recession, um, you have central banks um, lowering interest rates to encourage spending, encourage borrowing. And you also have a federal government that has lots of, they're like a good car that jump starts the bad car. They have lots of ability because their budgets are very much in order. Unfortunately, with our government, with we talked about politics earlier, Neither party probably wants to do the right thing on taxes and spending in order to get our, balance, our budget balanced. And if it's in a poor situation, which pretty much is right now, where we're spending way more than we're taking in, then in the next recession, you know, what can the government do in order to, to spend extra in order to get us out of a recession? Just a question we had talked about, but I just, when you were mentioning what's going on, I believe, and I'm, maybe I'm not accurate, that um, the um, selling of businesses are, is up, though. People are kind of jumping out and saying, I think I've had it with everything that's gone. I've been through a pandemic. I've been through the market. I'm done. I, I want to, you know, sell my business. Um, so, well, first of all, the... Uh, it, by the way, my intern as a master's student um, was in a, a firm which did valuations for people yes. who are selling their business for various reasons. Um, mergers and acquisition activities is actually down. Yes. But, uh, and t tends to be corporations just like individuals like to buy high and, and sell low. If the market's you know, down in 2022, they tend to buy fewer corporations. Now, I do the exact opposite. If the corporation's prices are down, I want to go buy it. Uh, so IPO trends, initial public offerings where they're selling to investors is also pretty low. Um, as far as private, I, I'm not 100% sure but um, uh, what you're saying, but I know the long-term trend, probably more people are going to be selling their businesses as, you know, the people retire. And if their kids don't want to take over, um, then there's going to be a market for selling those businesses. 
So you've given us, Coach, mm-hmm. a lot of good coaching, mm-hmm. a lot of good information. For our listeners out there who, you know, are, are really looking at their own portfolio and saying, this is really great information, but how does it affect me and what should I be thinking? Uh, so in today's market, if you're thinking that a recession is coming, typically what works the best is investing in quality companies. What does that mean? Those, that means companies that are highly profitable or like my firm likes to say are creating economic value um, that have some kind of competitive advantage, um, something they're doing better than others, and but they're also reasonably valued. That sounds really great. My guest today is we've been calling him coach dr kevin spellman he's a certified financial analyst he's also got a degree in the psychology of investing he's the director of investment management um, certification program at uwm and he's also a senior advisor and performs work in macro strategy at the institute shareholder services which is the largest firm in the world thank you so much for being a guest and as always i hope that i've made a difference in your in your future, in your personal investments. And before we invest, remember that we always listen. Have a great day. Bye-bye.